know, Jesus had left, as we consider uh, the last portion of this chapter, last Sunday, we know that Jesus had left one crowd who had asked him to depart from then in the land of the Gadarenes. But he was uh, now welcomed by another crowd that was there waiting for him. The crowd, as he came off of the boat along with his disciples, the crowd gathered in all around Jesus, pressing in on him. And you could say in the midst of that crowd, perhaps there could have been multiple stories told of him. And yet, this morning, we have two stories of two people who are in need of healing. One woman and one young girl. One comes to Jesus personally, the other is too weak and too young. And it is her father who goes to Jesus on her behalf to plead with him for her healing. We see these two people who are in desperate need of a touch from Jesus, believing that he is able to do this very thing. One is the 12-year-old of a daughter of a ruler of the synagogue who was ill with fever. And the other was a woman who had spent all her money on doctors trying to, well, find the solution to her 12 years of illness. Two backdrops. On one hand, we have this man who was a prominent man amongst the people. In the backdrop is joy. Twelve years that he was able to spend with his daughter, his only daughter, as we read. And it was filled with joy, filled with laughter. The appreciation of the twelve years that he had with her. And now she lie, she lay there dying. Well, the backdrop of the other one. 12 years of a solace, being an outcast, not being able to really even participate in worship. Anxiety, worry, concern, maybe even depression. It's a backdrop of the other one. Two entirely just different people. And yet we have the one whom they both go to. They're pleading with. And find themselves believing in. You know, at the beginning of this chapter, we're told that the 12 disciples were with Jesus, along with some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. That is, we read that in verse 2, about a month ago, as we studied that first portion of this chapter. We went on from there to the parable of the sower, the seed in the soils, in which we learn that the importance is the soil into which the seed falls into and what it produces. We have the lesson of the lamp under a jar who is to use it for what it's intended to be used. That's a reflection of our own lives. 
And in verse 18, Jesus said, Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. We also have the response of Jesus when he was told that his family was there for him. But he answered them in verse 21, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. And then they got into the boat. We're crossing the Sea of Galilee. It was he and his disciples. He was sleeping. While a storm arises and overwhelms them beginning to fill the boat with water, and they feared for their lives. And he had to be awakened by the disciples. He calmed the storm, and he turned to them and said in verse 25, where is your faith? As they landed on the other side in the land of the Gadarenes, Jesus delivers a man of demons but possessed him, a multitude. And yet, even though the man sat there in his right mind, the people, upon seeing this and what he had done with the swine that had been possessed by those very demons that had previously possessed the man, how it is that they were cast into the sea and drowned. Even though they saw this man in his right mind, they asked Jesus to leave to depart from them, and he did. You know, as, as I remind you of those things that we have gone through, those are all reminders of just the main lesson that we've been learning throughout this whole chapter is a lesson in faith. It's interesting how it is that Ray quoted Jeremiah thirty-two twenty-seven because it'll be quoted a couple more times. Perhaps it's something that needs to be emphasized this morning with us. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? I hope that that just resonates in each and every one of our hearts. Is anything too hard for me? Listen, I'm going to, it's just a, I'm going to spoil it all right now. All right. I'm going to give you the end, and this is what we're driving toward. Salvific faith is really what it's all about. What, what Jesus wants us to understand is, is that nothing's too hard for him, whether it be a healing or a resurrection, calming the storm, or speaking the world into existence. None of that is too difficult for him. It's all the same, in fact. But the hardest thing to do is for a man or a woman's heart to completely surrender to him. Because you can be healed. You can have everything fixed. But if you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus Christ and looked to him as Lord and Savior then all of it does not matter. None of it does. 
God wishes that none perish, but that all reach repentance. Jeremiah 32, 27, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? The one thing that Jesus wanted more than any healing or demon deliverance was the heart of every single person. Jesus wanted them all to believe in him for salvation. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. John, I refer to this often because this is, this is what we have in the, in the gospel accounts of Jesus. In John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, it says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Have you placed your trust in Jesus Christ? Have you surrendered your life to him? Our lessons in faith continue with the account of one, one woman and one child and her father as they both come to Jesus and believe that he can heal them. A desperate man is where we start off. And let's read once again verse 40 where it says, Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter about 12 years of age, and she was dying. Jesus, uh, as he got on, landed ashore on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, he was welcomed by a large crowd. They were all waiting for him. But one man in particular was waiting for him with great purpose. This man, you could say, was filled with desperation. His name is Jairus. He was a ruler of the synagogue, which meant that he was an official of the synagogue responsible for the supervision of the building and making sure the services and all necessary items for services were made available and ready for all who had use for them. And it was this man who had one daughter, and she's 12 years old, and she is back home, laying there, dying. Jairus was not about to send anyone else, and he didn't. He went himself to see Jesus. And I can just imagine this man, this father. For anyone who is a parent, you, you can relate to this. I, I cannot imagine what was going through his heart. But back home, his, his daughter was laying there. He knew that she was dying. I can imagine him. Oh. Dignity? I don't care. I'm, I'm going to gird up these loins. I'm going to cinch off anything that is hindering me from running. I'm going to run to that seashore. I can see him pacing. Just imagine the heart of a mother or a father pacing, just waiting impatiently. And then he sees Jesus and his disciples coming 
Oh, the crowd couldn't wait for him to get there. But there was one father. One father. If he could have, he probably would have jumped into the water and swam to him. And finally, Jesus gets on shore and everyone rushes Jesus. They all start to press in around him. Again, just think of the father and his state of mind. His heart is breaking. And everyone is just coming in. In fact, it's, it's described in this manner, that it's suffocating. But he fights through the crowd and finally gets to Jesus. And when he does, he falls to his face at the feet of Christ. And he implores Jesus to come to his house, explaining to him what has happened. Mark chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, describes it this, this way. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. implores to beg he submitted himself to Jesus Matthew records that the father said that his daughter had died and said but come and lay your hand on her and she will live Matthew 9 18 because in the eyes of the father her death was certain he knew that this illness would lead to death. Don't have much time. The only one that could do anything is you. Come. This man's position in the synagogue didn't matter at all. He begged Jesus to go. And in that moment, he turned. At that moment, he, he, didn't, he didn't say anything else. He just simply turned. Let's go. Let's do this. Let's go to your house. But you see, it wasn't the same faith as the centurion. You remember the centurion? The centurion told Jesus, you don't have to go. Just say the word. Say the word. I know that you have the authority. Say the word, and I know my servant will be healed. But Jesus went anyway. I point that out because sometimes we think of, well, I don't have the, the faith of so-and-so. I don't have that. Well, whatever faith you do have, exercise it, express it. Jairus, yeah, it wasn't the faith of the centurion, but the Lord had given him faith. Faith, by the way, is, 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 is something that is given to you. Even that we haven't mustered up in and of ourselves. It's a gift of God. And yet, whatever faith Jairus had, he brought it and he exercised it. Perhaps 
no one knew even that Jairus believed in Jesus. It was not until his daughter lay sick and dying that it was expressed. And now it was a public confession. He fell down before Jesus and implored him to come and heal his daughter. He acknowledged that, that Jesus was able to heal. We have um, this father who is desperate, but then we have a, a clingy woman that comes on scene. And we'll see what that means as we continue to move on. Begin in verse 42, the second portion says, As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood was ceased. As Jesus was walking... Again, the crowd is described as being so thick that it was suffocating. It was choking. It was pressing in on him on all sides. But somehow, just as the little girl's father had made his way to Jesus, we see this woman making her way to Jesus as well. All she wanted to do, though, was get close enough to touch the hem of his garment. She wasn't going to go and fall before him. She just wanted to go. She thought, if I just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. You see, the person who's desperate for Jesus will come to Jesus, and they won't let anything stop them. They will come. No amount amount of outside pressure will stop or distract them from doing so. Nothing present. Here's a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years. She had spent all of her life savings going after physicians, going here and going there, trying everything that she possibly could to be healed of this infirmity. But no one could heal her. But it's more than just the infirmity. This meant that she was a social outcast. She had to be isolated from everyone because if she touched someone, then that would mean that they would be ceremoniously unclean, as she was ceremoniously unclean. Not only was she a social outcast, but she could not participate in worship. This for her, can you imagine? This was an unbearable condition. Everyone shunned you. You had to keep your distance from everyone. You lived on your own. You were isolated. Unbearable. So it was this woman who really was not allowed to touch anyone. As far as the law is concerned, she, she couldn't make contact with anyone. And remember the crowd? It was all pressing in around Jesus. <laughs> and here was this woman who started weaving in and out, in and out, pushing, 
doing whatever she could to come to Jesus. But instead of falling before him, she grasped, grasped the hem of his garment. Again, believing that if she did, that she would be made well. This woman, even in her state, she wasn't, she was humbled. She was, she had been humiliated all her life. But this woman, even in that state, I mean, she could have parted the whole crowd, really, she could have. By saying, unclean, unclean, I'm unclean. And then it would have been, <laughs> the whole crowd would have just split. It would have been like the, the Red Sea and Jesus standing right there. Because nobody would have wanted to touch her. And yet, in a way, she was being considered of others, even in her state. She didn't want anybody to know. She wanted to make sure no one knew who she was, and even Jesus. What she clung on to was what is, um, in the original language, craspidon, which means it was the tassel that Jews wore on the corners of their outer garments, blue, blue tassels. They remind them of, of the law, the word of God. So she didn't have the faith of the centurion. She didn't really even have the faith of Jairus. What kind of faith was this? It's kind of like a superstition mixed in with faith, don't you think? I can just touch, touch. And she actually clung on to the hem of his garment. A little superstition and a little faith, you could say. But lo and behold, as soon as she touched the hem of Jesus' garment, she was healed. She knew. The flow stopped. And when this happened, immediately Jesus stopped and turned. And Jesus said this in verse 45, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Kind of interesting this whole account with this woman because you remember that literally the cross crowd was pressing in around Jesus. And how it was that Jesus responded. In that kind of crowd, can you imagine uh, in a concert? You have everyone pressing in in the front, right in front of the stage, and you have one person all of a sudden turn around and go, Hey, who touched me? <laughs> I don't know who touched you. There are a lot of people who are touching you. And this, by the way, and this is Peter, right? Peter, after everyone denied it, right? I could just imagine Peter. Why? Because we know Peter. We know that he, he says things at this point, and he's still learning. 
We are still learning. We are going to fumble with our words. We're going to say things at the wrong times. Jesus knew this, and yet Peter spoke up. It's, it's good for you and I. We should actually be encouraged by that. Jesus said the obvious after everyone denied it. He says, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. Jesus knew this. But who touched me with faith? It wasn't just to be around. See, this is an indictment against the whole crowd, actually. You think about it. In proximity, everyone was right there. But what were they there for? Just to see another miracle? To hear him speak? Just because they felt good around him? That was just this one. One person touched me and he sensed that power had gone from him. Hebrews 11.6 says this. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Why are you seeking him? Why are you here? We must answer that question. What are we here for? To worship the one whom we believe in? who has saved us by grace through faith in Jesus Christ? Are we here just to feel good about ourselves? We're, we're not here for us. We're here for him. When we finally get that, then we understand what the church actually is composed of. Worshippers of Jesus Christ who have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. A bunch of people who have fallen short and have realized it and confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior. And when we're here, we're here with grateful hearts toward him. We're so filled with gratitude and joyful over the salvation that we have come to know in Jesus Christ, and we come offering him ourselves once again, Lord, I am sorry, I have fallen short once again. Forgive me. And yet I come wanting to offer you my entire life. Once again, I'm here to serve you, to honor you, to praise you, to worship you. One more time, you give me breath to do that very thing. Jesus was saying, who who touched me with that faith? And Jesus explained what he meant. He perceived power had gone from him. He knew now it was time for that person to come and confess before the multitudes. He knew, but he was asking, who touched me? Kind of like Adam in the garden. You think God couldn't see him? Oh, Adam, where are you? It's like, come on. It's kind of like when your kids hide, right? You're like, you see exactly where they're at. Where are you, son? No, just as God knew where Adam was, 
in the garden. Just like that, Jesus knew exactly who had touched him. It was just a matter of confession, coming forward, confessing. That's what it was. The woman knew that it was her. She couldn't hide it anymore. (laughs) He wasn't going to just walk away. He was asking, "Who, who touched me? And he just stood there. She came to Jesus trembling and fell down before him. And then she confessed. She told him why it was that she touched him, why she grabbed the hem of his garment. But she also told him, when I I did touch the hem of your garment, I was healed. (laughs) Now we need to ask the question, why did Jesus do this? Why did he turn and... And why did he ask? He could have just kept walking. I feel a little power had gone from me and healed this woman. She could have just slipped away knowing she had been healed. Gone, presented herself to the priests. Gone through the required rituals to be considered clean and would be able to participate in worship services. But Jesus did this so that she would know that it was he that healed her. You you see, when we slip away, when we don't confess him, it's real easy for us to just slip away, forget about what Jesus had done in the moment and not acknowledge him, and later it just fades. A lot of people do that. So it's for her to understand that he had indeed healed her. It was also for the crowd that they would understand and acknowledge that he had healed her. You know, when we get a testimony, testimonies are are powerful, aren't they? For anyone who's given their testimony, you are reminded, Jesus has delivered me from eternal condemnation and has by his grace through faith in Jesus Christ forgiven me of my sins And my destination now is in the presence of his glory in eternity. And it just further establishes that in your own heart. When you hear someone's testimony and how it was that God delivered them from who they were to who they are in Christ, it just, what it does is it increases your faith. And like, oh, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. There's none like him. He is Savior. He is my God. In him I will continue to put my trust and I will follow him all the days of my life. It just does that. But this is a wonderful exchange that he had with this woman. In fact, he calls her. Did you catch what he called her? He said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. This is the only time that Jesus uses this word to refer to any woman, daughter. Tells her that her faith has made her well. It was a tender address by the Savior of a woman who had been an outcast for 12 years, but now was drawn in by the Lord and called daughter. For any who have gone through difficult difficulties 
having been raised, abandoned. This is how Jesus addresses us. This is what, how he looks to a son, daughter, coming close. Just as he did with, uh, with this woman, so he does with you and I. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, it says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Although this is wonderful, now we turn our attention back to the father of this little girl who was at home. We have this father who's impatiently waiting for Jesus to continue to walk because he has a dying daughter at home, his only daughter. 49, verse 49 says, While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that someone should be given, uh, something should be given uh, her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Now, what an amazing story. As Jesus was in the middle of addressing this woman, addressing her as daughter, and telling her, daughter, your faith has made you well, go in peace. In the middle of that address, someone from Jairus' home came to where they were. Jairus and Jesus now were there and brought word to Jairus, telling him that his daughter had died. So don't trouble the teacher. No more need for Jesus. She is dead. At this point, they all thought it's, it's too late. Nothing can be done. But Jesus. And this, is, this is a phrase that perhaps we should have ingrained in our minds is, but Jesus. When Jesus heard this, he addressed Jairus, telling him to not fear, but only believe. He said, and she will be well. Wait. In that moment, perhaps, I don't know if he caught this, but he just, didn't he just say this to the woman? Your faith has made you well. And now Jesus was telling him, only believe and she will be well. And as a father, in that moment, I mean, what, what are you feeling? It's like, okay, I just got word that my daughter has died, and you're telling me not to fear, but only believe, and she will be well. Everything in me is grieving. Everything. In fact, it doesn't say that the father responded. Jairus didn't say anything. But as he got back to the house, 
the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all record that Jesus, as he was telling everyone that was mourning, that she was, she was only sleeping. They all laughed at him. They, they, it says that they mocked him. In other words, what this is telling us is that there was no doubt that the girl was dead. No breath, no pulse, nothing that was indicating that she had any life in her whatsoever. But to Jesus, healing and resurrecting was the same. Again, Jeremiah 32, 27. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? The people were bewildered. Mom and dad were stunned, I'm sure, themselves, shocked. All Jairus was going on at this moment were the words of Christ. That's all he had. But he had also seen what happened with the woman. And so Jesus tells everyone to leave the house, takes in Peter, James, John, parents of a little girl, and called her, Talitha Kumai. Child, arise. He spoke directly to that child. And she did. Jesus, as it says in Romans 4.17, gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. God has the power to do that which is impossible with man. When her spirit returned, she got up and Jesus proving that she was, had been resurrected. She had been weak with fever and, and succumbed to that. But he resurrected her, brought her, resuscitated her, you could say, brought her back to life, and in that moment commanded that she be given something to eat. And it says that her parents were amazed. Of course they would be amazed, they were just standing there in shock and awe, just uh, in amazement and wonder, perplexed. What has just taken place here? But then Jesus told them, because it wasn't his time, it wasn't his hour. Remember also, and I remind you of this, that it was Caiaphas that was already planning, trying to figure out how it was that he could entangle Jesus in his words. The, the, the rulers uh, of the synagogue, other than Jairus, were already planning to bring Jesus down. And yet here was this man who now stood before a daughter that had just died and Jesus had resurrected her. He was in awe. He was amazed. And then for them to be told, tell no one about this. I don't know what they did, but there were a lot of people that were around. I mean, what were the people outside going to say? When the little girl comes walking out, of course word got out, right? That can't be contained. It cannot be contained. The things that God has done for us, they, they shouldn't be contained. It should be declared from the housetops. Oh, Jesus saves. We have a woman who experienced 12 years of humiliation, trying to do everything possible to be made well by the physicians, but they couldn't. 
but she believed that Jesus could heal her, and he did. It was her faith in Jesus. The object of her faith is what mattered. She believed that he could make her well, and she went in peace. And we have a father who had enjoyed this this little girl, his only girl, for 12 years. But she lay dying, did die, and yet was told, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. For Jesus, 12 years of sickness or death, whichever one, neither is an issue for him. But he simply desires one thing from both. And that is faith. Just keep in mind that even though, even though this woman was healed from these 12 years of infirmity, she still died. Still girl, even though she was resurrected at the age of 12, she still died. There's a, a day appointed for you and I to die. Are you ready for that? Because as God demonstrated in these two stories what he could do, it was only so that they could believe. That's what we read in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. All these things are written so that you may believe, and that by believing you may have eternal life. Are you ready for that? Because when a person believes in him, not only will they see a visible change, a healing in some cases, yes, absolutely. But more importantly, it will be a healing of the heart. An exchange of hearts. An eternal life that they will know in Christ. It is your faith that makes you well. And you can go in peace. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. Do you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? That's the bottom line. We can cry out to him for all kinds of things. Give me strength, give me power, heal me, direct me, heal my marriage, give me another job. Do all of these things. But the bottom line is, do you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Because whether he gives or he takes away, we should be able to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Is he your Savior? John 14, 6 says, I am the way. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In Acts 4, 12, says there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Only Jesus Christ. Romans 3.10. None is righteous. No, not one. In Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right? These things we know. You see, God demonstrated his love toward you in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Yes, while Jesus walked this earth and even now he still heals. He still does these miraculous things. 
But the greatest miracle that he desires that you experience is the conversion of a soul. It's a salvation to be known by the individual. That you would now know that you've been forgiven by God. And you have the hope of heaven by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It is his indescribable gift that he's given to you. That is his greatest desire. And in that moment, if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. Can you say with certainty that you are saved? You're walking with him in faith. I pray that you can. And if not right now in your seat, I would implore you. I would beg you. I would tell you without confessing Jesus as Lord and Savior, you are already destined for hell because you have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one goes to heaven differently. It's only through Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So in your chair, in your seat right now, if you want to know salvation, then pray. Ask him for forgiveness and ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, to give you a new heart, that hope of heaven, and that he will walk with you all the days of your life. Ask him for that. And then tell someone. Confess it. In other words, just tell someone else what you have done. Come forward and tell me. I'll be standing every Sunday morning. I stand up here. Just waiting for someone to come. Whoever needs prayer. Whoever has surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ. I'm standing right there. I wait for a few minutes. And then if no one, well, then I walk off. If not with me, pray with someone else. Do that. Amen? Father, I thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. I thank you for your salvation. It can only be known through Jesus Christ. And and Lord, as we consider these two stories, Lord, Lord, perhaps we relate with one of the two, Lord, number one, being in desperation, but Lord, just our background. Lord, sometimes we come from a life of anguish, a, a life of pain. Lord, but... That's not where we get our identity. That's not what defines us. Lord, whether we come from that kind of a background or one of prominence, Lord, one of, Lord, in which we really haven't had any wants, no needs, Lord. It's been joyful. Lord, either way, we, we are in desperate need of a Savior in Jesus Christ, we need to come to believe that he is the Messiah, the Savior, and to surrender our lives to him. And so, Father, I pray that that would resonate in our own hearts, that we would give our lives to you, Lord, and, and Lord, that we would be reminded of the faith that we need to exercise this morning, Lord, if we have been walking with you. Lord, that it wouldn't be a dormant faith, Lord, but that it would be an active faith, Father, that expresses our love and trust in you. That we would be excited about that, filled with great hope. So, Father, have your way with us, I ask. Help us to lean into you and trust in you. In Jesus' name.